Welcome in to the latest edition of the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. My name is Kelly Ford, and with me as always is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how we doing? Doing great, man, as always. Little new recording day for us, recording this on Friday, February 11th, so uh, winding down the day, looking forward to the weekend, ready to have a little CFP discussion with the boys here, uh, talking all things college football playoff changes, our thoughts and opinions. I'm looking forward to this episode today. You nailed it, King. We got a one-topic show today, college football postseason format. What do we like? What don't we like? What's your ideal format? And to help us out today, we do have, for the first time ever on the podcast, two guests joining us. I'm going to start with our friend Andrew Percival. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Kelly. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, Andrew, if you would, wouldn't mind, um, obviously you and I, we go way back on social media. We've been following each other for a long time, but uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about your background, um, your involvement in the college football space, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, um, I'm a native of Seattle, Washington, grew up uh, in the 90s when uh, the University of Washington was was pretty solid. So kind of developed a love of college football through that. Um, and then throughout life and school and work, um, got exposed a little bit to the analytics side. And so now um, what I enjoy doing is looking at college football from um, kind of a metrics-based perspective and really immersing myself in that world um, and then have another a number of other hobbies um, tied to the sport, uh, make schedule posters um, in the summer to get excited for the season and um, basically just have a, a pretty severe college football addiction. It's what I spend um, most of my free time on. I love it. And I can speak from experience here as a proud owner of the entire set of 2021 college football schedules. I'm sorry, football schedules in general, because I even have the AFC and NFC from you too, Andrew. I can vouch those are incredible. So much fun. I have them up in my basement on um, my magnetic chalkboard wall. Followed it all year long. It was so cool. So if you haven't purchased the the football calendars from Andrew before, uh, please do go check them out at PDog on Twitter. Um, that's where you can get them, Andrew. Fantastic. And also you mentioned your metrics consensus. As we've talked about, my goal one day, we're going to get the K Ford ratings incorporated into metric consensus. I know you got to earn it, so I'm working on it. But one day, I'm just telling you, it's coming, all right? Well, well, well hey, all year long in the in the We Hate Your Team podcast pick em, I was staring up at you. I wanted to get you, uh, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I, I Every week, it was like, okay, did I gain on Kelly this week? Did I gain on Kelly this week? It just didn't happen. So you finished, what, second? Yeah, I was second behind our good friend uh, Parker yeah. Buell. Park Nasty 69. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you being on. Uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the college football postseason format. I also want to introduce our second guest today. Um, so second but not least, that's Clint Derringer. Uh, Clint, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm glad to be here at this first uh, official meeting of the Big Ten Pac-12 Alliance, right? That's where, that's where we're here. Yeah, a hundred percent. We've got an Ohio State fan, a Purdue fan, a Michigan fan, and a Washington fan. So we've got a wide swath here. It's going to be a great conversation. Clint, you and I are a little bit newer to following each other on social media, but same thing, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about your work in college football and just your, a little bit of college football background um, about yourself for our followers. Yeah, so I, I grew up uh, kind of the same age as the rest of you guys, a little older maybe than, than you, Kelly. I, uh, I grew up in Metro Detroit, grew up a Michigan fan, kind of an average Michigan fan, uh, went to school there from 01 to 05. I was a student manager, equipment manager with the team for two seasons in the 02 and the 03 season. And, uh, and then when I got out of school, went back to my, uh, my hometown and coached 
uh, high school varsity football for 11 years. Um, so always, always, obviously been real, real big in the sport, love the sport uh, as a fan, as a spectator, as a coach, as a player. So kind of all different dimensions. And then uh, a friend of mine, Phil Callahan, had a long running uh, blog website, Michigan fan site, umgoblue.com. Uh, was uh was founded in 1999 while I was still in high school um and he's been covering uh Michigan football since then he was a he was one of the first uh online primarily online media sources to get credentialed into the press box at Michigan Stadium in right around 2005 and then I started writing for him just recently in 2018 and then joined him in the press box in 2019 so um, my perspective is to try to combine uh, the coach's view and the analytics view and try to boil all that down quickly in real time and, and kind of live tweet and talk our way through Michigan games and provide Michigan fans perspective with, with all that uh, uh, additional dimension to it. And it's something that I try to be somewhat unique because I think my perspective is, is a little bit unique. So that's, that's really it for me. It's a Michigan fan site specifically, but uh, as I dug more into analytics, I came across you guys and, and really uh, respect and, and admire what you guys do uh, a lot. And obviously, I gain a lot of value from kind of understanding your methods and, and using your numbers. Um, and, and that's how I try to use it in, in what we do for uh, at umgotoblue.com. That's awesome, Clint. Thank you for sharing. That's a really cool and unique uh, background and tie-in that, King, I don't think we've had that perspective before uh, with a guest on the podcast. So I know that both Andrew and Clint are going to be giving um, really good perspectives. We've asked them to be on today because we know that they are on opposing sides of the uh, expansion talk when it comes to the playoffs. So, Clint, uh, respect, admiration are words that you use there. I must say, as an Ohio State fan, those are words that I would use towards my views of Michigan, but I still don't like you, man. I, I, I can't, right? I mean, I can't. We're, we're rivals. So you and I will be will be professional, will be collegial here, but at the end of this, I mean, we're not going to go get beers, right? Michigan, Ohio State fans or what? No, that's, I mean, that's the way that it should be. I, I respect uh, fans of other teams, rivalry teams, especially the the diehards. You know, they, they gain my respect more than, than the mediocre fans sometimes of my own fan base, so. I, I can respect that, and uh, you know it, it's a matter of you know it's a matter of being true to who you are, you know, regardless of what conversations on the table. Uh, I I love it, Clinton. I, I was just giving you a hard time. I'm gonna be up in Ann Arbor for uh, for work for our tennis championships in April, so I'll make sure I shoot you a DM. We'll, we'll get together. It'll be fun. But Kinger, you look like you were gonna hop in there. What do you got going on? I just want to say, luckily, we're talking football today, and not basketball, because after the beatdown Michigan just put on Purdue last night, I wasn't looking to. Uh, was hoping we were gonna avoid that conversation. It looks like we are, but uh, also Clint giving me the credit. You know, Kelly's the one who. Uh, runs all the numbers, you know, leads all the analytics part of the part of it. You know, he's got his own ranking system that he works so incredibly hard on. I'm just the, you know, dumb average football fan, not average football, way above average football fan who likes to gamble. And that's the perspective I bring to the show. So uh, appreciate it. Happy to have both you guys on. I uh, love that we got Andrew from the Northwest. Uh, we were talking, joking about that before the show. He actually is a part of the Northwest being up there in Seattle. So uh, bringing different perspectives and looking forward to having a conversation with these guys. 
King, don't sell yourself short. Uh, for those that were following us all year long, if you took advantage of King's best bets that he put out throughout the show, you did make money betting college football this year, which is very difficult to do. So between my numbers and King's gut when it comes to betting, it's a pretty good combination. And we've got Andrew and Clint here today to make it even better. So guys, enough chit chat, enough intros. We all now know each other. Everyone knows what this episode's all about. Let's get right into it. I was thinking it might be best if we start with the current format that we have. And so, Andrew, I'll kick it to you first because I know you are a proponent of hashtag stay at four, and I'll let you talk more about that. But let's talk about the current format first, guys. Pros, cons, what do we like, what will we change, and we can talk about um, differing views and, and opinions about expansion um, as we go forward here. So, Andrew, let's start with you. Stay at four movement. What's that all about? Well, um, the stay at four movement is a collection of people who are very passionate that the the best course for college football's present and future is to not expand the college football playoff. So I'm not I have to stop short of saying that we all think that four is the best number because we do have a handful of go back to two folks um, amongst us. But um, we, we've kind of united around this um, media onslaught over the last couple of years um, that the, there's something wrong with the current format. It needs to be expanded. Um, and so we, we, we love the current format um, as compared to alternatives, um, be it 6, 8, 12, but I think especially 12, um, that's the one that seems to have the most traction. Um, so we, we love it. Um, I, you know, we'll get into all sorts of details as to why. Um, I was not someone that grew up all that um, passionate about the, the format, I guess, short of the, you know, being on the playground as a second grader talking to your buddies about a Washington Miami matchup in 1991. So I grew up around that. Clint probably has similar memories, you know, six years later in 1997. So I guess, you know, and then in 2000, Washington was 12 and one, um, had a win over Miami and didn't get to play for the national title, the, the Florida State, Oklahoma. So it wasn't something that I was ever passionate about um, until really falling deeply in love with the sport the last 10 years and kind of really seeing seeing how much I enjoyed the regular season. And, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm a firm stay at four. And Andrew, if you could just uh, continue on about why four, why you feel four is the right number in terms of the meaningful regular season or whatever it is, why do you think four is the right number and you wouldn't like to see it expand beyond that? And then we're going to get to some other perspectives here too. Well, um, to, to blend two concepts that we often hear thrown out there, um, best versus deserving. Um, and I think people, we, we hear them a lot without necessarily reflecting um, on what they mean. Um, and I used to be very militant um, in kind of when I first got into analytics, I remember, you know, kind of making my, my buddies think I was crazy by being a militant metrics person, militant best, you know, put Ohio State in over Michigan State in 2015 and, and crazy stuff like that. Um, and and so what I love about four is that it's the optimal blend of the best teams and the most deserving teams. I think two was tilted too heavily towards deserving because um, you all it took was one kind of not not bad i need to police my hyperbole there but like a team that was not one of the two three four best teams in the country who happened to run the table win all their games 
2012 Notre Dame was a great example and kind of an eye opener on that. Um, all it takes is one of those teams to make it through 13 and 0 or 12 and 0, and then the national championship is effectively determined by whatever whatever the process is, be it the BCS, be it a committee, whoever, whoever throws whatever team from that layer of of best, you know, likely one loss best, whoever makes it through. That's it. That's the national championship. The national championship was determined, you know, through that kind of subjective evaluation process. Whereas with four, it would capture a, a very deserving team. Extreme examples, 2012 Notre Dame, 2015 Michigan State, 2018 Notre Dame. I mean, teams like that, 2014 Florida State. Um, it captures all those um, with, you know, occasional problematic exceptions that, that we can talk about. Um, but it also will throw in all of that next layer of really, really good, likely one-loss teams, likely conference champions. Um, whereas I think once you get past four, um, it, it's really a, a pendulum swing away from deserving very heavily to best, where the 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 really uh, deserving teams that had an exceptional season, likely won, won a conference, um, are just kind of overwhelmed by um, – teams that had worse years but are better than them um and so that's kind of it's it's about the pendulum swing between best and deserving and i i think four is an absolutely fabulous not without problems um and we can talk about those but it's a wonderful compromise of those two concepts there's a lot to unpack there andrew and i think the the terms that you kept going back to best versus most deserving Kinger knows this. We've talked about this at length on this show. That's why I have two different sets of ratings. I have my K Ford ratings, which are which are essentially predictive power ratings. So that tries to capture what teams are the best teams. And then I have my most deserving rankings, which try to capture which teams are the most deserving based on their accomplishments on the field to this point this year relative to what would be expected of the average top 25 team to accomplish against that schedule to that point in that year. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. Kinger, I'm going to come to you here in a second to react to, to what Andrew just said. I also want to mention, though, Andrew, you mentioned the pros and cons of two versus four because you said there are some in the stay at four movement who want to go or who might uh, like to go back to two. I found myself contemplating that recently, Andrew, and I think it's a conversation that has merit where I get hung up and stuck every single time is I think about a year like 2019 where you've got LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, all phenomenal teams in terms of power ratings, all 13-0, and 0, Power 5, conference champions, all that. So varying levels of deservedness, but all certainly deserving of inclusion and, and a chance to win a national championship. So when I think there's even the potential, and we saw it in 2019, there's even potential for years like that. It makes me think two's not enough, even though I do think there's merit to it, which is why I always swing back to four. But King, Andrew gave us a lot to react to there. What are some of your thoughts in that? And then Clint, we're gonna we're gonna get to you, but I know you're you're a bigger on uh, expansion, so we're gonna work our way up to that. I think the point that Andrew makes about that thin line or that fine line between who are the best teams and who are the most deserving teams that is such a fluid concept year in and year out. To depending on you know how people view the games, what they're looking for, it's tough to draw. And I think there are only a handful of teams every year that can truly be considered as one of the best teams in the country. So 
unlike a lot of people, I have opinions on this matter, but they aren't quite as strong as, as maybe uh, any of any of you three on the show to a certain extent. I was team expand to six for a long period of time. And I'll be honest, my opinions for a while was, is that you actually need an automatic qualifier from all of the power five conferences that and then, then do one from the group of five to complete that to six. However, in the last probably 12 to 14 months, my opinion on that has changed dr- dramatically because of the fact that is not the way that you determine the best teams in the country. If you're going to go six, you have to, you know, again, put it in the committee's hands, uh, whatever their criteria, whatever they evaluate, you have to put it in their hands to still make the decision on who the best six are. But the automatic qualifiers, I think, skews it. And we, we would never ultimately get to the point of who are the best teams in the country. Um, but that being said, I like the concept, the thought of uh potentially setting it up like the old NFL style playoffs, right? Give the top two teams a buy, uh, allow the three seed to play the six seed, four seed to play the five seed. I think what that does do to a certain extent was is it does, again, eliminate and minimize the risk of some of these players who have opted to sit out, right? Uh, you're going to increase uh, the, these players, like, for example, Kenny Pickett, not saying uh, Pittsburgh would have gotten in this year, but guys along those lines to opt out of the bowl games, it's going to be much more meaningful when you add in a couple of these players or a couple of these teams to the college football playoff, right? It's going to increase revenue for college football, and I do think it, to a certain extent, six would bring more excitement. But I really struggle with the fact is, is, again, as I really think at the most every year, you only have a handful of teams that can really compete for a national championship. And we've seen year in and year out how these one four matchups have gone. And we at least every year since the CFP has began, we're getting a blowout in at least one of the initial games. And so there's it's I think there is that line um, where you don't want to expand that too much farther. So staying with four in the, in the criteria that they have right now. I'm I'm honestly again all for it, but the expansion of six, I wouldn't want to go much more than that, strictly because of the fact that I don't think there are good enough teams in the country to, to be a part of it. King, I'll tell you the scenario that would have made me I talked about 2019 being the season I point to as to why two isn't enough. I'll give you the scenario here from 2021 where I might have had to change my mind and say, you know what? I don't think four is enough anymore. If Oklahoma State gets in the end zone there on the final play or, or the, the final drive of the Big 12 championship game, by my own numbers, King, I ran them hypothetically, by the most deserving numbers, you know, we've talked about it, I would have had, I would have suggested that Oklahoma State is, quote, more deserving of a place in a four-team college playoff than undefeated 13-0 American champ uh, Cincinnati with a win on the road at Notre Dame would have been. So if, in my mind, if the committee would have put the, it would have put Oklahoma State ahead of Cincinnati and kept 13-0 Cincinnati out here in 2021. That would have been enough for me to say, you know what, Cincinnati's good enough. They finished, or at the time they were number five, I believe, in my power ratings, and they were they would have been number five in my most deserving. They're good enough. They're deserving enough. They should have a chance to compete for this. Um, so I think I would have changed my tune. And you can say, well, Kelly, wait, if there is a path, that, that, that's a possible outcome. We were an inch away from that happening. Shouldn't you just be proactive and change your mind? And I think that's a very valid question, a fair question. I would hate to see somebody like a 2021 Cincinnati in the future get burned just because, well, you know, we had a chance to change it and we didn't because it didn't hurt us before. Seems like we could have spared a team in the future some unnecessary heartache and some outrage uh, nationally for, from the media and from fans alike. So I think that's an interesting thing to consider. And I think it's a really good segue into Clint because, Clint, I know from talking to you, kind of your thoughts on this before you Clint talk about the merits of expansion I want to ask you 
are there, are there any positives? I mean, is there anything that you like about four better than you would like about an expanded playoff? And if the answer is no, then that's perfectly fine. I just wanted to ask, because then I know you're going to get into maybe how you like six or eight. And then at that point, everyone's kind of set a piece and we can start to get into a debate, kind of a round table and, and ask each other questions about their different approaches. Yeah. So I, I would say first that I don't disagree with anything that Andrew said in, in his intro there about four teams. I think it is a very good compromise between good and deserving. I, I appreciate your ratings and, and uh, deserving rankings, uh, Kelly, for that exact uh, fact that, that those are two different things. And I think it, it's nice to be in a conversation where we've established that definition. This is kind of a unicorn in that space because I don't think anybody else really defines that when they're talking about it. But for me, in that conversation, a championship is about deserving. It is not about best, right? It's a historical record. They won the game. They deserve to be champions. So championships and determining championships, to me, is anchored in deserving. And again, that's probably a little bit of a, a coaching background coming from that, right? Is let us play on the field and decide if we can be champions. Don't judge me based on the loss I had in September. Judge me about how well I'm playing in the playoffs in December. So that's my perspective and why I really think that I want to know who's playing the best at the end of the season and then who is most deserving. Um, and I would love to see some of the uh, Cinderella-type stories have, an, have a chance to, to slay the dragon. Um, I mean, it, the, the, play, the playoff blowouts that, that King mentioned is a legitimate thing, certainly. It's boring a lot of times on the semifinal day. But remember, the very first playoff champion was Ohio State. They were the four seed. And it was very controversial that they should even get in there with Baylor and TCU hot on their heels, right? So you could make a case that the very first playoff, a four seed won it all, and five and six were right on their heels. That four seed almost didn't get in. So to me, it, we want to figure it out on the field because it's a championship. It, there are going to be hypothetical scenarios where uh, the best teams will fall down because they fell early in the season and you give them a second chance. I know that that's a big uh, drawback for some of the stay-at-four folks. And, and to me, the most deserving you want to win the championship, you should still have to go through the quote-unquote best teams. You know, 2015, Ohio State is uh, is a really – historically great team by all the numbers didn't get into the playoffs because they can't beat the Spartans at home for some reason they didn't want to at, get the at a game at a game I was at I'll say Clint oh it was in the rain it was cold it was miserable it hurt so bad I, I we, we could probably talk for hours when you come up to Ann Arbor about that game but uh you remember to give Zeke Elliott the ball the next week in Ann Arbor <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure now they learned their lesson you're yeah. right but it was too little too late because the format was four right so right. yeah sorry continue though uh, but to me the, the 2015 national champion should have had to beat that team and that's how you say that you deserved it right you you, you beat you won on the field so that's the biggest motivation for me toward expansion is i'm very heavy deserving with deserving meaning that you won the game and you beat the toughest field Right. And a golf analogy is kind of like how the players championship in the PGA used to sell itself as the toughest field. So the one that wins that has really slayed uh, one of the tougher fields. And that's how I would try to create. It. No, I think I think that makes sense. And Clint, what you laid out there. I've long said, long before I had a Twitter account with K-Ford ratings, long before we had the We Hate Your Team podcast, just as a college football fan, I've long said, I want to see 
the best of the most deserving. And that's a very ambiguous term, and, and you can't really nail down exactly what that means year over year. Honestly, guys, in my opinion, we'd be best served to have a playoff field every year that was dynamic in terms of the number of teams that get in. It's based on every single season individually, right? You could say, well, 2019, yeah, there's three teams, so two versus three, and then the winner plays one. I understand that's not appealing to most. I understand that's a nightmare from logistics. So, like, it's not a realistic solution, but that just kind of gives you all an idea and our listeners an idea of where my headspace is at when it comes to determining which teams do I feel are deserving of a chance to win a national championship and which teams are good enough to go out and actually win it. So, um, Clint, something you said there that I think will open up our discussion with then is, as you're talking about deserving, one of the reasons that I don't support at this time expansion beyond four teams, and I know I've talked about the caveat of maybe six could make sense and I could get behind it, but certainly not beyond six. And King, I'd agree with what you said. If we go to six, I don't want to see any AQs. Um, I I don't want it to be the power five and one AQ or the best four champions and two at-larges. No, no, no. No AQs for me if we're at six. I'm not not mistaken. That's kind of the holdup right now is I believe the Big Ten in the ACC only are willing to expand if it's AQs. I don't know. I I think the Pac-12 might be involved in that conversation as well. Andrew, you might have a better perspective on that than I do, but I'm pretty sure that was the outcome of the December meetings was is that right there. It's the Big Ten and ACC that want the automatic qualifiers. My understanding, and I'm reading all the same things that everybody else is, is that I'm not hearing much about six. I don't view that as realistic. I would I would have a hard time envisioning AQs with six because that's such a small number. Um, I I have a hard time envisioning any form of expansion without um, AQs because to me, so much of the narrative um, is is supporting kind of altruistic motives, at least publicly facing, and you know on on the the basis of inclusion and that and so that kind of inherently leads you to AQ. So I am fully expecting whatever happens to include a minimum of six AQs. And even though I'm, I'm stay at four, when they came out with that 12 team um, leader in the clubhouse proposal last May, I actually really respected the fact that the AQs were not predetermined um, on, you know, P5, G5 stuff. Um, that um, in theory, this is what I always tell um, when we run into um, G5 folks um, that, in theory, say that the G5 will typically win about 20% of their non-conference matchups against the P5 in a given year. Um, say one year they go out and they win 50% of them or they win you know, 60% of them. And um, I want any system to be flexible enough to adapt to that and treat the G5 like it's the P5. And then all the, and if that was to happen, all the advanced metrics, the K forward ratings, you know, everything would reflect that. Um, and so I like being able to say with a straight face that like you do have just as good of a chance. It's just with the way things unfold, um, you know, certain teams have higher bars to clear than others. Um, so, um, but, but King, my, my understanding is eight or 12 will include a minimum of six AQs and any fighting um, about that centers around whether they are predetermined P5 plus one or whether it's completely open, any six conference champions. And I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I've, I've had some conversations with other Pac-12 folks. I'm a good good friend of mine, um, Alex Bolton on Twitter. The two of us have discussed the possibility that um, Kevin Warren um, 
in the Big Ten is going public with his preference for it being P5 plus one, not because he really wants that, but as a favor to um, his brother conference, the Pac-12, um, and, and our new commissioner, George Klyovkov. Maybe that's a little conspiratorial um, on my part, but it just it just makes no sense that um, you know, a league like the Big Ten, which based on recent history and long-term history, would have nothing to worry about 95% of the time. So I, I almost feel like, you know, and I'm embarrassed to say this as a Pac-12 guy, given how down the league has been since 2017, I almost feel like that that might be the Pac-12 working through the Big Ten on, on that front. Because um, the Pac-12 knows it has no leg to stand on if it was to go public with that. I agree with Everything you said, Andrew, there up to the the conspiracy part, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I I hear your points, and I think it makes sense, and I I could get behind that. I could believe that. I just don't know enough about it to publicly support the the theory there. But everything you said up until that, I'm right there with you. And I actually, King, as I think I mentioned on the show previously, as I recap my experience working the College Ball Playoff National Championship, I found myself... um, in the JW Marriott at the time that the commissioner meeting with, with the board was actually ending, with the college football playoff board was actually ending. So all the reporters are there. I'm just hanging out. I'm like, you know what? I'm just standing here too. I'm going to listen into this little circle. And so I heard it straight from some commissioner's mouth, straight from uh, Hancock's mouth, kind of what how those meetings went and the things they talked about, all the things you saw reported. But the hangups are AQs, how we determine those, and the number, as, as you pointed out there, Andrew. The timing of the decision, talking about expansion, maybe isn't right for some. I think we're seeing that from the ACC. Bulls. How do the Bulls tie into this in terms of our early round games played on campus? Are they played at bowl sites, which I want to get everyone's thoughts on here? Revenue distribution, uh, because if it's all going to be based on the number of teams that get in, is that's how your revenue is distributed? Um, that certainly matters as to which teams are getting the AQs then. Uh, the number of teams, there are still some who apparently think four is working and would like to see that um, stay in place. And then, Andrew, what you pointed out too, getting past the quote, what's best for me or what's best for my conference. Those are all the hangups straight from the horse's mouth uh, that I heard there in early January uh, in the JW in Indianapolis. But where I was to wrap up where I was going with my comment, because I I agree with you. I don't think six is even on the table for expansion because it can't include AQs. And I think any any expanded playoff is going to include AQs. And whether that's, Andrew, as you said, at eight, I think it would be six AQs plus two. And again, at that point, it's probably they're going to want the power five plus one outside. But I agree with you, Andrew, for as much as I'm stay at four and didn't like anything about that 12-team playoff expansion that, that broke last summer, the, the thing that I liked the absolute most about it was there were two things. One, the AQs weren't predetermined, as you said. Um, so it was whatever six conference champions are the highest ranked. And actually, in going through the playoff era, it only would have mattered in one year. And that was the weird COVID year of 2020, where the Pac-12 champion was so low, was ranked at the very bottom, of the top 25. Um, but other than that, throw that year out because there's kind of some some inac- or some inconsistencies with the data. Every other year, the Power Five would have been five, and then it would have been one from outside. So. That's kind of that's kind of um, nuanced, I guess, or, or just semantics uh, for for most normal years, I would say. Um, but then in in twelve, th- that was one thing I liked. The other thing I liked was the top four seeds. So the teams that get the buys, those are the top four ranked conference champions. Therefore, Notre Dame is not eligible to be a top four seed. I do think it's important if you are going to have AQs, if you are going to reward put such a reward on conference champions, that you should do just that: reward the conference champions. And Notre Dame, I'm sorry, you're not in the league. You can still make the playoff as a five through a 12, but you're not going to be a four. Um, So where I was going though with my six, 
I could get behind six. I don't think it's going to happen. If we do, I don't want it to be AQs. But really, anything beyond six, guys, the reason that I'm not a fan of that, and Clint, you talked about deserving, so I want to get your thoughts on this. I ran the numbers before this uh, before this podcast recording just to look at the averages. So going back to 2014, on average, the number of two-loss teams that get in in a four-team playoff obviously is zero. We haven't had a single two-loss team make the playoff yet. If you expand that out to six under what I just said with no AQs, the average number of two loss teams that get in is one, just over one per year. If you expand that to eight, you've got two two loss teams getting in per year. At 12, you've got nearly four and a half on average two loss teams getting in. Let's look at three loss teams because this is what really kills me here, guys, because I absolutely love college football's regular season. I think it's the best regular season in sport. I think every single game matters. And you can say, oh, really, Kelly? Every game matters because you just saw Alabama lost a game this year and they still got in and the, from the regular season. We got examples of that all over. Teams, teams from power conferences losing a game, still getting in. Okay, you're right. The top teams, they do get a mulligan based on this gauntlet that they have to go through outside of that, and they still end up at the top of my most deserving rankings and ESPN strength of record and all those other metrics. So yeah, you could argue not every game matters. You could also argue from the perspective of UTSA. I know they didn't finish the deal undefeated, but had they finished 12-0 and and then 13-0 and with the conference championship, would they have gotten in the playoff? No, they wouldn't have, and they wouldn't have deserved to have by my numbers. They wouldn't have been one of the best teams by my numbers. So you could say, does every game matter for them? In terms of the national championship race, no, I guess it doesn't. You're right. But in terms of the meaning of to that fan base and to, and to that conference, absolutely those things matter. So I understand that. T- take it with a grain of salt when I say every game matters because I, I mean that generally speaking. Let's look at these three loss teams though, guys. In a four-team playoff, obviously zero. We have no three-loss teams. We didn't have any two-loss teams. In a six-team playoff over the last, since 2014, no three-loss teams would have gotten in. In an eight-team playoff, you would have three-loss teams getting in, two of them to be exact, one in 2018, one in 2021. I can tell you who those are. Uh, 2018 would have been Washington, Andrew, there you go. And 2021 would have been uh, three-loss Utah. So Pac-12, both times, um, getting in at the eight-team. Because I went under the assumption that you've got the six highest-ranked AQs and then two at-larges. And then for the 12-team playoff, guys, so what is the most likely, in my opinion, expansion option if we do it? 12 teams, six AQs. AQs, six highest ranked, and then six at larges. On average, every year, we're going to have two, three lost teams in the playoff every single year. Guys, that means that you're either nine and three without a conference championship or more likely 10 and three with likely a power five conference championship. But either way, you, you've lost 25% of your games of a small sample size of 12. And now you've got a chance to play for the national championship. Do you really deserve a chance when you lost three out of 12 games? I mean, I ask you that question, Clint, I'm coming to you because you're our expansionist and I see you, you laughing. So you've got something here. What's going on? I can't see expansion beyond six because I don't want to see that happen in the regular season. He's rubbing his eyes. Here we go. Let's get it, Clint. Well, let's use 21 Utah as the example, just for the, the conversation, three losses, right? So where'd they end up ranked this year? I, I think they, 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 they finished number 11 in the committee's final rankings going into selection Sunday. They were 10 and three uh, with the PAC 12 championship as, as we pointed out. And I think the sixth, the sixth ranked was Ohio state and, and that matchup actually no, happened. No, so Notre, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame Georgia, Georgia, Georgia would be the five cause they'd get bumped. Baylor would be the four cause of the AQ I, thing or. Yeah, I'm not doing the AQs, right? I'm, okay. I'm just doing okay. the rankings that, that was available historically. I didn't I didn't adjust for, for automatic qualifiers because I think 
I, I don't think you can separate automatic qualifiers from what's best for my conference. Right? I think those two things are embedded in each other. So for me, I just went pure rankings for this conversation, but I understand what you guys are, are, are talking about. But let's use Utah, three loss, right? You're not putting them into the national title game, right? You're not putting them into the semifinals. You're not putting them into the quarterfinals. You're putting into a, a round of 16 game in a tournament format against number six, Ohio State. That Rose Bowl was pretty good. That Rose Bowl was pretty good. That, there's nothing wrong in my mind calling that a playoff game if you're talking about a 16-team bracket, right, or, or having to win four games if you're that lowest seed. Uh, again, with the top four get, playing for a bye and then the five through uh, eight playing for home field potentially or, or some other incentive structure. So the three-loss team being, oh, my gosh, the system just fell apart, I, I don't necessarily accept that. I think – depending on how we define the bracket and the whole playoff format and what deserving means. Again, three loss isn't an, oh my gosh, we have three losses. This system must be terrible. That Rose Bowl was very, very entertaining. And I would certainly have watched it uh, being the first round game of the playoffs against Ohio State. And, and, and probably to the points before about players uh, not opting out of bowl games, even the Rose Bowl, but then having a playoff game that Ohio State team probably looks a little bit different if they play that game as a playoff game. That, that was my question to you. Do you still think Utah plays as well? Do you think it's as close of a football game if Ohio State's at full strength? I think they do because they weren't stopping them anyway, right? I mean, just having those other receivers, they're not going to score exponentially more points, right? It's not like Utah pitched a shutout. So to me, Ohio State scored, and they may have scored a little bit quicker, but – you only got so many, right? I, I mean, uh, in Jigba, Smith and Jigba ate up some of the stuff that uh, Garrett Wilson would have done anyway. He had, what, 250 yards receiving. So um, just, just to not I, – I don't necessarily accept three-loss team system dissolves. I, I, I just don't think that you can make that clear of a distinction. I, I hear you on all points, Clint, and I agree. That Rose Bowl game was fantastic. I think Bill Connolly put out his best 100 games of the year or whatever, and I think that game was like number two or in the top five, right? Like, it was a phenomenal game. And as an Ohio State fan, I'm sitting here at halftime thinking, my goodness, there's no way we're going to win because we can't stop them for anything. And then the second half happens. It's exciting. It's fun. It's all those things. I take King's point. I take your point about um, Ohio State probably doesn't have the opt-outs at some of the big positions and some of their big players. Again, you could argue the receivers didn't even hurt them by not being there because you see how great Smith and Jigba is. Marvin Harrison Jr. gets three touchdowns. Um, I go on and on about that game. But here's my question for you, Clint, because when you're saying, I don't, just don't give me that three-loss team. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying that as the deal-breaker and, and the back-breaker. Let's look at those three losses, though, Clint. So those three losses, that team, a team that we're letting in the playoff here, and, and by all means, Utah was a phenomenal team at the end of the year. I mean, in my power ratings, they ended up number 11, actually. So, like, this is a really dangerous, good Utah team. You could say, well, Kelly, if they didn't – if they didn't um, – if they would have started Cam Rising from the beginning of the year, they wouldn't have had these losses. And, and that might be. And the same thing with USC. If they would have started Sam Darnold from the beginning of the year back in, what was it, 2018, maybe they wouldn't have had the losses that they had. The fact of the matter is they did start someone else, and, and they paid the price for that. Here are the losses, though, that Utah had. You're going to have a team that we let into this playoff, a chance to play for the national championship, when they have losses to teams. As I look through my predictive ratings, they lost to BYU, who's number 40 in the year-end predictive ratings, 10-3, and three, number 40. Oregon State, 
a team that finished 7-6 and six and ranked 51 in my power ratings. And they lost to San Diego State, a team that finished 12-2, and two, but number 70 in my power ratings. So you're going to let a team in that has three losses to sub-40 teams, and they're going to have a chance to go win a national championship, whether they're playing great or not at the end of the year, because you can't argue they are. They're, they're playing for to be the champions of the 2021 season, and you got three pretty ugly losses on your resume. That's kind of that's my point. I, I hear you of what you're saying. That's my point about, man, I just don't know if I want that team to have the chance to play for it because if you say you like deserving, to me, that's not very deserving. I, and I can certainly respect that. I certainly can. right? But again, remember, you're not putting them right into the national championship game or giving them a crown. And, and again, in, my, in the 12 seed or the 12 – team playoff, if we're talking about hosting um, those first round games, Utah would have had to go on the road, win in Columbus, right? Not playing at the Rose Bowl. They would have had to win in Columbus. Then they would have had three seed, Georgia, eventual national champion. Then they'd have had the two seed, Michigan. And then they would have had to beat whoever came out on the other half, probably Alabama. That team, if they, if they did win the national title, I would call them deserving, regardless of losing to Brady Hoke and San Diego State. I think, Andrew, I want to get to you and get your comments here. I think, Clint, what you just laid out is I I respect a lot because you're saying they're not necessarily deserving at the entry point of the playoff, at least as deserving as others. By the time they would hypothetically be crowned national champions, they certainly would have earned it and been deserving. That that explanation there helps me better understand and clarify your earlier comments on the show about your importance of deservedness you can earn that deservedness throughout the playoffs so i get that i think we just have a fundamental disagreement on um a a kind of a threshold a bar of deserving to even be allowed the opportunity to compete for that so that helped me clarify um in my head what you're trying to say so andrew let me get to you on on this uh, whole conversation yeah yeah, you know i think if i if i'm a uh, a college football big picture person a tv exec or an administrator of some sort and i hear those two three lost teams what pops into my head is that um, they do accomplish something, and that is um, the value of inclusion, where um, they're both Pac-12 champs, so you're getting the Western U.S. involved, and there's a lot of narrative surrounding you know, the quote-unquote whole section of the country that's excluding. So to me, um, what, that bothers me less than the two-loss at-larges, and I also think it's really important to acknowledge that um, – with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC and the SEC likely playing nine conference games, there's going to be even more three loss teams um, that are kind of in that, in that 12 team mix, if they do in fact go to 12. Um, And so um, I I think, you know, we, we have to, as as stay at four folks, we have to kind of be prepared to, to um, accept that, that, you know, those, that, that Washington team, those Utah teams would have accomplished one of their objectives, but to, to that, um, you know, as, as someone that shares a lot of the same values that you do, Kelly, with just um, extreme reverence for the regular season, um, I know Utah was not trying to lose those games. I mean, and I know they got better throughout the year. But what I would tell them is, um, you know, yes, the bar is higher at four. But if you're talking about making a deep run um, and, and perhaps, you know, getting to a point where you are um, 120 minutes away from a national title, are your odds better? winning um, two out of three or potentially three out of three, depending on how things would have shaken out. Um, Are your odds better winning two out of three against BYU, Oregon State, and San Diego State? 
or are your odds better um, beating, you know, Ohio State in Clint's construction of the bracket? In, in my construction, um, I'd have them playing at Notre Dame in round one, um, and then um, round two, um, likely Georgia. Um, and they're they're probably not not making it. But if you're telling Kyle Whittingham in you know in July, hey, would you rather win two out of three or three or even three out of three against you know those three, or would you rather try to go win two? Um, and I think. You know, if he's playing his odds, he would say the, the, the three out of three against those weaker foes. So I think it, it's 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 about folks are just mad that the Pac-12 has performed so poorly in non-conference play. And and, it, and, and so I think, um, you know, for me, what what one of my big kind of, um, you know, my, my my fastball in this whole conversation and um, is to try and put use use the metric system that, that I subscribe to to try and simulate how the brackets would have played out and then put those outcomes in front of people and see if they're somehow offensive to their sensibilities, you know, as, as, as a fan. Um, and that's part of what makes um, talking with Clint about this so, you know, challenging for one, because he can, he'll accept your baseline kind of assumptions on probabilities and then he'll, you know, make it, into a, a bigger picture theoretical thing. And it's, it's um, that's why the, I enjoy the conversation so much and it's um, so much higher level than a lot of what, what else you see out there. But um, in, in these brackets, and I've got them going back to 2014, um, there are seven teams who've qualified for the CFP who the metrics consensus has at lower than 50% to make the CFP. Um, based on how, you know, the, the metrics viewed those teams and the win probabilities and how the brackets would have been constructed. Um, and I'll just name them real quick. And, and, and we can think about, you know, from the perspective of altruism and, and, and these motives of, of opening the sport up, making, making, making things easier for teams that we want to, you know, pull for, um, not, you know, the not, not big three, not big four. Um, 2014, Florida State, I have it 37% to make it with most of that remaining percentage sucked up by TCU who would have been a six seed and was really, really good that year. Um, 2015, we're swapping Michigan state for Stanford. 2017, we're swapping um, Alabama for Ohio state where in that year, it actually works out interesting because Ohio state had that conference championship, which uh, how I'm building things throws them into the four seed, they get the bye, and that was the difference in propelling them in over Alabama. 2018, Notre Dame replaced by Ohio State. 2018, Oklahoma replaced by Georgia. 2019, Oklahoma replaced by Georgia. And then this is where I knew that, you know, I was never going to get I was never going to get Clint um, because things unfolded this year in a way that was perfect for kind of the, the narrative that I like to construct. And that is Michigan. Um, I have them at 46% to make the CFP, um, despite being um, the the two seed and, and despite that just electric, incredible win over Ohio State. I'm not a Michigan fan, but those three and a half hours that I was sitting there, just I was just um, on cloud nine watching that. It was incredible. But um, the metrics, and I know the K Ford ratings would would agree, and it really, um, you know, a lot, a lot of different metrics would have respected the heck out of Ohio State even after that loss. So you put them in a bracket, and even with a bye, um, I have them slightly more likely to make the Final Four than Michigan. And I think as fans, if if Ohio State's running out of the tunnel in a Final Four game, 
uh, and Michigan sitting at home after a Big Ten title and, and win over Ohio State. Um, or even if they're running out of the tunnel to play each other a month later, you know, in a, in a quarterfinal game. To me, I think that offends a lot of basic college football sensibilities. And so that unfolded in a way where I was like, okay, stay at four can really hammer Michigan, Ohio State this year. Um, and the fact that Clint is a Michigan fan, um, I knew that was my best chance to, to get at his heartstrings. Um, but um, so for, for me, it, that's kind of what it's about is it's there's, there's some deep seated cynicism as to how things would unfold and that those names, th- think about those names. We're swapping in Ohio State. We're swapping in Georgia, teams like that. You know, I, I think when confronted with that reality, um, we, we won't we won't like it. We'll kind of look back on those electric moments in the regular season and, and they won't hit quite the same way. There, there may be a little bit of difference uh, in the bracket construction, and I want to give credit also to Andrew where he he's very against bracket luck, right? So, so yeah, you create these brackets, and then this team that doesn't deserve an easy path got an easy path, and this team that deserved an easy path got a hard path. And I, I agree that bracket luck and, and constructing that would really have to take center stage if and when this, this all comes to be. Um, and that's why I just went with the final rankings um, when I did my comparison. Now, what I did, I went all the way back to 1998, the beginning of the BCS, when we were trying to, quote, unquote, find a true champion. Like you mentioned, 1997 as the jump off point of co-national champions. And that's it. Let's decide it on the field. Let's decide it on the field. Right. So I went back to 1998 and, and, and ran the numbers just based on final BCS rankings and, and also on CFP rankings. And first of all, there's been 24 seasons since then, right, just for, for context. If we were to change the, the 16 seasons of BCS to a four-team uh, qualifier, that only identifies six new teams. Only six new teams would get in uh, as compared to uh, the final reality. In that time, there's been 21 teams, 21 programs that have qualified either under the BCS system or the CFP system, you'd add six new ones. Here are the new additions. Colorado, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Penn State, Stanford, TCU, right? So on top of the 21 that have already qualified for a national title, just changing from two to four on those previous years would have added six that are not necessarily the same old people, right? I mean, that's that's my first point. And then if you were to go to an eight-team qualifier, just using the top eight seeds, again, not, not doing any type of automatic qualifier uh, caveat, you would have 27 programs that would have been involved in the playoffs at this point. Those six that I just mentioned and 21 others. The 21 others, Arizona, Arkansas, Baylor, Boise State, California, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Louisville, Mississippi State, Missouri, Ole Miss, Oregon State, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, UCF, UCLA, Utah, Washington State, and Wisconsin. So when we're talking about altruism and inclusion and trying to really bring in from all four corners of the country and keeping fan bases engaged, then the risk of having the same people win the national title at the end of the season is still probably going to happen. Nick Saban's still going to be Nick Saban, right? Clemson's still going to be Clemson. Ohio State's still going to be Ohio State. However, now we've raised the bar from six wins to qualify for a bowl to now there's a line in between national title 
and, and that entry point, like you said, Kelly, I think adding that entry point as a level of deservedness is good for the sport uh, in general. I absolutely have loved listening to both perspectives here, both sides. I think there is merit to both. I think both of these viewpoints and and, fa- and statements can be true simultaneously. And this actually, as you guys were talking, it reminded me a lot of an article that I remember reading from Bill Connolly. And I went back and I found it. It's from June of 2021. So it was after the uh, announcement about you know, if we're going to expand, it's looking like it's going to be a 12-team playoff with the top six um, conference champions being the automatic qualifier, six AQs. Here are some highlights, uh, quotes from that article from Bill Connolly, because I think it highlights both sides of this story. Bill says, and, th- and this is only going, this is this data looks, or his story looks at from the CFP era. So, Clint, I appreciate your research going back to 1998. I think that gives us a bigger sample size, which is obviously super informative and helpful for this conversation. For the purposes of what I'm about to say, it's only for 2014 to, at the time, 2020. I updated my numbers, uh, as I talked about earlier, for 2021, but this does not include those. Um, Bill says, A 12-team playoff indeed offers a playoff path to what we have long referred to as the Group of Five conferences, assuring that college football's national title race is actually inclusive for just about the first time ever. But it also assures that the most powerful conferences and teams benefit massively from extra at-large bids. He goes on to say, um, as I look through here, to your your point, Andrew, Based solely on the 2024 or 2014 to 2020 rankings that already exist, a 12-team playoff field would have brought in 10 teams that ranked worse than 20th in SP+. And although that group does include five of the obligatory group of five teams, or as we'll evidently now refer to them, sixth conference champions, he says, it also includes a 2016 Colorado team that finished the year 53rd and a 2014 Arizona team that finished 46th. Again, that's in Bill Connolly's SP+, which um, I think Andrew would attest is the uh, is the goal metric when it comes to college football predictive rankings he, he, he goes on to say and then king i'm going to kick it to you for reaction he goes on to say to be sure this structure still benefits the top dogs most of all ohio state now reaches the cfp in every single season and this is now kelly ford talking i'm an ohio state fan so i understand that that expansion of the playoff would mean more opportunities for my favorite team to win a national championship. And even with that in mind, I am still not of the opinion that we need to expand because we talked, Clint, about that 2015 Ohio State-Michigan State game in the rain, in the cold, in November. I was there. It was awesome until it wasn't. That game hurt so much, and I didn't I didn't have social media at the time, but I didn't get on ESPN.com. I didn't turn on SportsCenter. I didn't turn on Sports News for a week afterwards because I knew our season is over. It was all on the line. We lost the wrong game. If Ohio State beats Michigan State and loses to another team that year, Ohio State's still in. We lost the wrong game, and that's the way it goes, and that's why I loved it so much. I hated it, and I loved it at the same time, if that makes sense. Uh, But anyway, uh, Bill goes on to say, uh, Ohio State now reaches the CFP in every single season. Clemson and Oklahoma are currently on six uh, streaks of six in a row. This is, again, before 2021 season. And then the final thing that he says, again, the top dogs benefit most of all. While expansion to 12 team finally offers genuine inclusion to all the FBS. It also means that an average of five and a half SEC and Big Ten teams make the playoff field each year. If revenue ends up distributed, like I talked about earlier, if revenue ends up distributed by the number of playoff teams your conference has, the richest conferences continue to expand their lead on the field. Not necessarily, um, or he goes on to say, a Cinderella run of sorts would certainly be possible, but extremely unlikely. So, Kinger, 
There's a lot there from Andrew. There's a lot there from Clint. There's a lot there from Bill Connolly, which I happen to agree with a lot of, which happens a lot because I think Bill's a really smart dude. Uh, King, what do you have here for us on all of that? Because it's a lot. Yeah, it was fun listening to all you guys uh, share your points and thoughts on this because the biggest thing that I can relate to and, and one thing that I will say is is you three all have had the privilege and, and beneficiaries of rooting for teams over the last 20 years, which has been the majority of my college football fandom, that have had some relatively form – have been successful in one, in one form or another. Uh, me growing up being a Purdue fan that I have, I, I unfortunately, you know, we had some good runs in the late 90s, early 2000s. One of my earliest football, college football memories was watching Drew Brees play your Washington Huskies, Andrew, in that Rose Bowl in 01. Um, some fantastic memories when we were younger and we had some good quarterbacks come through, but we never have had the success on the field that, that the level of your programs have. So you're talking to a guy uh, who loves college football very much. I want to see parity in the sport as much as possible. And that's the biggest intrigue to me uh, when it comes to playoff expansion is, is including these programs that might have their one-off years when they're a very good football team to give them that opportunity and shot. And Clint's points about you know letting your play speak for the results, letting your play do the talking on the field. From a fan's perspective and somebody who loves the sport, that's exactly what I want to see as well. So when you lay it out like that and the stats that he put out about 21 new teams, that's on paper and in my head, you know, my immediate reaction to that is that's fantastic because that's what I want to see. But the counterpoint to that and is, you know, Kelly dove into it a little bit. We fix that to a certain extent when we expand to eight or 12, but it definitely does not eliminate the problem. You know, you go to a 12 team playoff, it is absolutely likely that you're going to have five, six, potentially even some of your seven teams from conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, so it's where we draw that line and how you evaluate that. You know, I don't think there's a perfect fix to that problem. But that's really the biggest thing that I have from my perspective is, is I love parody in college football. I love the underdog story. And and it's absolutely the transition from how you play in the beginning of the field or the, on the field, at the beginning of the season to the end. Teams are completely different. You can grow in ways and you can be an elite team at the end of the season, even if you weren't at the beginning. So the concept and everything is there. I don't necessarily know that the quality of the early round matchups really improves on top of that. But then again, it is college football. You see upsets all the times. So there's more incentive to it. Um, and it's a fun way to go about it. So my perspective is is, is clearly I want to see as much parity in college football as possible and, and, and give those teams the opportunities is that the answer? Yes, but we're not going to completely eliminate the problem in my quarrels that I have with it. Yeah, I, I agree that you're not going to eliminate the problem. And Andrew's point about letting those behemoths into the playoff, even though they lost in the regular season, I don't have a, a rebut to that. It's it's the risk, and I think you're, you're pointing at the same thing, King, and I agree with it. It's true. That is a risk. But that's what lends the credence to that lower-tier team winning, hypothetically, that's why they're deserving. They had to beat the behemoths. They didn't dodge them because of a restricted field. And I wanted to, to finish off, I did run those same numbers with a 12-team bracket, right? So in a 12-team bracket, if you were to compare to the 21 teams that have been uh, either in the BCS or CFP, you get 42 new teams. So there was, you know, the six, and then the 21 was 27 new teams. The new 15 teams that would get in, if you put the 12-team bracket together, which is the most fun and the most crazy, here are the teams that get added. Arizona State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Tech, Hawaii, Indiana, Iowa State, Marshall, Maryland, Miami of Ohio with Ben Roethlisberger, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, South Carolina, Tulane, 
Virginia and West Virginia. So, and remember the, the last point that I wanted to, to kind of cap it for me is that those teams are not necessarily going to stand toe to toe with Ohio State, Alabama, Nick Saban, Jim Trestle, the rest of those guys. Totally understand that. But remember that first round with the 12 team format, which I could advocate for in certain scenarios. But if you put a gun to my head now, I'd probably say eight would be my favorite. But in those 12 teamers with those small time teams, they're not playing the behemoths in the first round, right? 12's playing five. 12's playing five. 11's playing six, right? So those games in the first round, again, if you add a layer of hosting those on campus, give me those. Give me those games. Let's call that our first round of the playoffs. And then if the semifinals are still blowouts, then at least we had that round before it to, to really enjoy. Yeah. I, I, I Kang, I hear you. When, when you – started um your your statement a, a couple minutes ago i immediately i knew where you were going with it and i thought of a good friend of mine who's a mississippi state fan and a very passionate expansionist and i, I get the same energy from him um what, what i would say to that that the stay at four rebuttal to that is that we are trying to protect a big 10 championship from purdue should that ever happen um, where it's like, you know, if say Purdue does, you know, they go find their next Drew Brees. They do have an incredible season. Um, they win a big 10 title. Like we want a world where they advance and some of their, their biggest accomplishments, field storming moments, you know, of, of the season are protected. Um, the ramifications are protected. Now the comeback to that is that, you know, if, if it's, it's, if Purdue does win a big 10 title, odds are higher, or, or I don't, I, cause I don't want to single out Purdue. It's the, the concept. It's the, the type of team mid tier peer P5, maybe even a little below mid tier P5. Um, if a team like that wins their conference, odds are higher that they have two losses than, you know, an Ohio state type. So uh, I guess the comeback to that is, okay, maybe we'll win the Big Ten, but we'll have two losses. We drop a non-league game and, and or we win, you know, we drop two in Big Ten play. So I, I struggle with that, like, because I acknowledge that maybe they do win a Big Ten title and they don't make it with four. Um, the other thing that, that Stay at Four se seeks to do is is change the concept of what the playoff is and inclusion. Because, to, you know, I, I would say hearing, hearing all those names that Clint rattles off and, and teams like that, um, you know, particularly the P5s, um, I would say they were in the playoff. They they played, you know, Team X in October, Team Y in November, the, you know, Team X and Team Y being the big boys who qualified, you know, with a smaller field. So we'd be uh, we'd say that is a playoff game. You know, Arkansas, Georgia this year, Arkansas, um, you, you know, teams, it's, it's those those regular season moments. Um, and I, I, you know, particularly with Clint and, and all those teams, I, I sense and, and respect, um, you know, a real, I think we just lost Clint, um, a, a real sense of, of altruism. Um, and here, I, I thought of this last night, the, the path to altruism is eight. It's, it's eight with six AQs and, and two at larges. Um, but the, the, the question I, that I really want to challenge people with is, why is why the, the, I do not get the sense that the SEC is remotely okay with eight if it involves six AQs. So my question to the expansionists of the world, to the CFB, you know, college football media of the world, um, who I'm a little I'm a little disappointed they haven't challenged people more on this. Why is the SEC in favor of twelve and not eight? 
And if the SEC is in favor of 12, why is it a good thing for everybody else? Why is it a good thing for the Pac-12? Because um, I, I, I do, I am cynical enough to, I do view it as somewhat zero sum. Like if the SEC is stoked about something, why should they be celebrating elsewhere? And so to me, I just, I just want, like I acknowledge, like the path to maximum altruism is eight. I don't think we're going to get that. Yeah, I, I think Andrew and Clint, you both made a lot of really good points there. I tend to be with you, Andrew, about we do have those playoff games. We do have those on-campus games um, that, that are, quote, playoff games. They just happen to be happening during the regular season. We see those all the time where if you lose this game, your season's done. We talk about Ohio State, Michigan State 2015. It's just one example. Um, so I don't necessarily think that we have to expand to get those additional playoff games. I think we have them now if we just open our eyes and recognize that they're happening in what we're calling the regular season. That does lead me to, I know we got to get wrapping up here because we're, we're over an hour. Uh, that does lead me to one final question I have for everyone and that is if we do expand to whether it's eight or to 12 and we do have games in prior rounds to the semifinals are we all in agreement that we would like to see those games on campus and not at neutral bowl sites I know I know what that's going to do to the bowl partners right and the bowl coalition and that that may not be a realistic path because of the amount of money that's invested by the Bulls into the college football ecosystem. So let's put that aside as we talk about what we think is ideal for college football and for us as fans. Are we all in agreement that we'd like to see all those games on campus or is anyone making a push for, no, the one versus eight game should be at the Rose Bowl? I I think it's definitely on campus, and I think that we agree on campus and college football being tied to the campuses and those towns and those atmospheres. I mean, that's that's the core of it. I think all of us, speaking from a, a, a center of a fan and, and, and caring about the schools that we went to, especially, right, you want to put those on campus. But the, the, the cynical side of me a little bit I wanted to, to kind of mention is I think this it's going to happen because there's money to be made, right? There's more money on the table because there's going to be more games and more huge TV contracts. So one of the points that I've always made to, to Andrew in this is that let's let's be realistic. It's going to happen. Let's all join forces and advocate for what we want to see from our perspective. And I think that, that that's a big part of it. This is going to happen because of money and executives. It's just a matter of who throws their power around in which way. So the, the people that are speaking for, uh, you know, altruistic fans and, and, you know, bringing people in from all over the country, I think it's important that we try to make it pretty clear what we want to see as consumers and as fans. And, and this conversation is, is a big part of that, at least as a framework and, and, and listening to, to all the different perspectives. Yeah, Clint, believe, believe me, those, uh, those comments have landed in terms of where we'll, the two of us will have a fun dialogue about all the virtues and, and the, the wonderful things and the drawbacks and agree on a lot of those principles and have a fascinating dialogue. And then you'll say, yeah, but they're just going to do it anyway because of the money. And, and I can't tell you, you know, looking into my phone and reading that and kind of knowing that you're right, you know, it, it, it lands with me, believe me. Um, to answer the original question, um, even as a passionate stay at four person, I think the proposal they rolled out last May is um, basically perfect. Um, I was very impressed with uh, no preferential treatment, you know, built in. Um, I think the logistics would make it challenging for them to play the first two rounds um, from 12 to, to four um, at fully on campus. So I liked the, the movement from 12 to eight on campus and then the movement from eight to four 
and then the movement from four to two involving six uh, of the the traditional bowl games because I, I like the bowl games. I mean, it's kind of fashionable fashionable to bash them, but um, they're they're a wonderful part of college football tradition that I think you know should be incorporated into any new system. Um, so I actually prefer. I, I had zero issues um, and and was frankly quite impressed with with how it all worked together. There's one change that I would make, like where if someone said Andrew. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to go in a room and cry by yourself because we are expanding, but we're going to give you the power to like decide how 12 goes. The one thing I would do is I would incorporate a system where um, in, in seeding preferential order, you get to determine your opponent. Like basically the higher seeds get to fill out the bracket. And and the reason it's not, it's not entertainment value, um, but I think I am terrified of, of bracket luck, as Clint mentioned earlier. And I think, you know, for instance, I think that um, the fifth best conference champion is going to be far better positioned than the fourth best conference champion because the number, the fourth best conference champion as the fourth seed is going to play the best at large, who's often going to be the number two team in the whole country. It's going to be, you know, Baylor playing Georgia this year when everybody, you know, Georgia was probably the best team in the country. Um, and so I would love, to, to have like a draft of sorts where in ascending order from seed, teams get to protect themselves against that. And so um, I, I think that having the, the, the most, you know, fairly constructed bracket incorporating both deservedness and best. Um, and then to put it in more humorous terms, my, my buddy who also I think liked that idea, he told me he just wants to see Nick Saban go in front of a microphone and say, uh, yeah, we'll take Iowa. We want to play Iowa. I mean, so I th- there is like that a little bit of that entertainment, you know, where it's just kind of fun. It's kind of sinister. But I also think it would have like some positive outcomes um, and to, to make that bracket, you know, as fair as possible. Because it's just it, the seeding is not going to match the K Ford ratings. The seeding is not going to match the metrics consensus. And there are problems with that. Yeah, the the concept and idea of hosting those games, the initial games on campus, is very intriguing to me because there's nothing better than a home field college football environment. But uh, like Andrew said, there's nobody who appreciates and respects the impact and the uh, bowl season more than myself, right? I live for those six and six Purdue years, seven and five, going to Detroit, play Central Michigan in the Motor City Bowl, right? Like that's a, a one-off example, but the the overall what bulls bring to college football, it's it's incredibly fun and the tradition is rich and I want to see that 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 stay as much as possible. So I don't know logistically like something regionally. Um, I don't. I think every year the 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 fluid fluidity of that would be tough to really keep it consistent. But uh, that's just my thought. Keep the bull aspect of it, but obviously logistics. That's just that's a it's a it's a whole different conversation. It's a- Right on, guys. Well, hey, final final question for everyone in two two seconds or less. Andrew, we'll start with you. Your ideal college football playoff has how many teams? Four. Clint. Eight. Kinger. Six. And K Ford will say four. I can see the I can see the case for six, but I'm going to stay four for right now. So, um, uh, Andrew, Clint, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Andrew, remind everyone where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, pdog206, and shout out to Clint. He came on here. I think he knew that it was a road game for him, uh, so all the respect in the world, Clint. 
I echo that 100%. Clint, remind everyone, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm at Clint underscore Derringer. And uh, the website where we write and live tweet from is umgoblue.com for all the Michigan fans listening. Well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Clint. This has been an absolute blast. I I hate that we have to wrap it up. Um, We'll have to do another one uh, here in the future where we continue talking about our college football playoff and the ideal format for that. So for Kinger, this has been the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. I'm Kelly Ford, my co-host Zach King. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Clint. This has been amazing. Everyone have a great week.